our perspective of God. And today we're going to look at our perspective of ourselves, our lives and others. Because just, just our perspective isn't meant to be that. It's not meant to be a defeated, why bother sort of perspective. How's that? So um, we looked at the first half of Jonah two weeks ago, and now we're going to look at the second half of Jonah. Um, if you'd like to follow along, it's uh, chapters three and four. If you'd like to just soak in it, um, as I prefer to do, feel free just to, just to, um, just to listen. Then the Lord spoke to Jonah a second time. Get up and go to the great city of Nineveh and deliver the message of judgment I have given you. This time, Jonah obeyed the Lord's command and went to Nineveh, a city so large that it took three days to see it all. On the day Jonah entered the city, he shouted to the crowds, Forty days from now, Nineveh will be destroyed. The people of Nineveh believed God's message. And from the greatest to the least, they decided to go without food and wear sackcloth to show their sorrow. When the king of Nineveh heard what Jonah was saying, he stepped down from his throne and took off his royal robes. He dressed himself in sackcloth and sat on a heap of ashes. Then the king and his nobles sent this decree throughout the city. No one, not even the animals, may eat or drink anything at all. Everyone is required to wear sackcloth and pray earnestly to God. Everyone must turn from their evil ways and stop all their violence. Who can tell? Perhaps even yet God will have pity on us and hold back his fierce anger from destroying us. When God saw that they had put a stop to their evil ways, he had mercy on them and didn't carry out the destruction he had threatened. This change of plans upset Jonah, and he became very angry. So he complained to the Lord about it. Didn't I say before I left home that you would do this, Lord? That is why I ran away to Tarshish. I knew that you were a gracious and compassionate God, slow to get angry and filled with unfailing love. I knew how easily you could cancel your plans for destroying these people. Just kill me now, Lord. I'd rather be dead than alive because nothing I predicted is going to happen. The Lord replied, Is it right for you to be angry about this? Then Jonah went out to the east side of the city and made a shelter to sit under as he waited to see if anything would happen to the city. And the Lord God arranged for a leafy plant to grow there. And soon it spread its broad leaves over Jonah's head, shading him from the sun. This eased some of his discomfort, and Jonah was very grateful for the plant. But God also prepared a worm. The next morning at dawn, the worm ate through the stem of the plant so that it soon died and withered away. And as the sun grew hot, God sent a scorching east wind to blow on Jonah. The sun beat down on his head until he grew faint and wished to die. Death is certainly better than this, he exclaimed. Then God said to Jonah, Is it right for you to be angry because the plant died? Yes, Jonah retorted, even angry enough to die. Then the Lord said, You feel sorry about the plant, though you did nothing to put it there. And a plant is only at best short-lived. 
But Nineveh has more than 120,000 people living in spiritual darkness, not to mention all the animals. Shouldn't I feel sorry for such a great city? If we think about perspective, as we did last a uh, couple of weeks ago, um, perspective is not what we know, it's what we believe, value and focus on that frames our thinking, attitudes and actions. What we believe, value and focus on that then frames our thinking, attitudes and actions. Jonah was angry. He was angry because God saved the Ninevites. The same God that he praised and worshipped a couple of chapters earlier for saving him from the depths of the ocean and saving him from a raging storm. Romans 3, 23 to 24 says, For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, and all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. In our perspective, sometimes we forget that we've actually all fallen short. No one can say they've got it together. We love to compare, to measure, measure one person against another, to measure ourselves against somebody else. I'm not perfect, but I'm not as bad as so-and-so. You know, I know I can be a little greedy, but, but you should have seen how many Tim Tams Parley ate at Small Activate Group the other night. <laughs> Parley wasn't that Activate Group the other night, so it's all right. So. <laughs> I, I get a little bit of road rage sometimes, but I don't swerve into other lanes in front of cars like some people do. When I was at... Uh, I wasn't talking to you, John. <laughs> when I was at school, I, um, I was the go-to, copy, uh, go-to person for free copies of software. So if you had a program in mind that you wanted, um, I, was, I specialised in the graphics programs. Um, but if you had a program, you... you uh, yeah. Um, I'm sorry to say things have changed, but um, I'm not sorry at all. But I was... I was the go-to person if you, wanted, uh, if you wanted some software, I had it. And I was, you know, it's a bit of a status symbol. But you see, but you see I, I just gave it to my mates. I didn't sell it to anybody. Now, they, that was wrong. If you sell it to someone, that's wrong. But just copying it, you know, that, oh, that, that's, that, that was justified because I wasn't as bad as, you know, selling it. And it wasn't until I led a youth group and I watched these kids looking at me as a leader, that I went, ooh, hang on. Someone's selling it's wrong and someone stealing it and giving it to their friends is wrong. How did I get to this point of comparing myself and saying that I was all right? Relatives to them, I was fine. I wasn't murdering anyone. I wasn't hurting anyone. It was, it was wrong. It was wrong. Um, it was a hard, hard thing to wean myself off. Um, but I worked hard at making sure that everything I had, I owned or was designed to be free. Um, and, and it was the same with all my music that I download from Napster, for all you people who are that old. <laughs> um, you know, you just went and grabbed it. It was fine. It was free. You didn't have to pay for it. It was wrong. I was taking music that someone had written and invested their blood, sweat and tears into and just using it for myself. But you see, I wasn't stealing, I wasn't robbing, I wasn't hurting anybody. 
I'd compared myself to somebody else and I said, oh, I was all right, I'm okay, I'm not that bad. I was justifying my wrongs by comparing them to other people's wrongs. But we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. I remember speaking, uh, hearing a speaker with a physical disability and, uh, and, and I'm not putting down physical disabilities at all, but they said, we're actually all disabled. Just some people's disabilities are more visible than others. And that really, that really resonated with me because, you know, he was in a wheelchair and didn't have a choice about showing his, his limitations. Um, but sometimes we just hide ours better than someone like that. And we've actually all got disabilities, all got, we're all incomplete. When God looks at us, he knows, knows that we're incomplete, that we're broken, that we have scars and have scarred others. But if he used that as a measure of our worth, he would never have bothered sending Jesus. In the same way, if our perspective of ourselves and of others is measuring people based on their brokenness and their scars and the scars they've created in other people, then we'd never bother stepping out and doing anything for anyone either. We can end up like that story I gave about the website, just being demoralised and going, why bother? People are broken. But people fail. Jonah failed. The Ninevites failed. I've failed and I will again. And I, I hope that doesn't surprise you. <laughs> because we've all fallen short, we kind of, sometimes people can get this perspective of someone stuffed up. But that's not a surprise. I've got to put a hand up and say, it's me too. And we might measure them and say, they've stuffed up worse. It's like, we've all stuffed up. We can't measure ourselves or measure other people based on their past, present or even future failures. That's not a way to measure. And Jonah, unfortunately, had one measure for the Ninevites and a different measure for himself. He was happy to take the grace and compassion for himself, but he didn't want it for the Ninevites. They didn't deserve it. Uh, rescue me from a whale. Rescue me from a storm. I, I, I need this. But he was angry when it came to someone else. And we can't, we can't have that comparison. The second thing in our perspective that sometimes is a bit hard is loving the least of these, even if it costs. Can you imagine going into the city as a prophet, walking around for three days, and it sounds like the place was pretty hot. Declaring that the Lord was going to destroy the city in 40 days and then nothing happened. Chapter 4, verse 2 and 3 says, So he complained to the Lord about it. Didn't I say before I left home that you would do this, Lord? That is why I ran away to Tarshish. I knew that you were a merciful and compassionate God, slow to get angry and filled with unfailing love. You are eager to turn back from destroying people. Just kill me now, Lord. I'd rather be dead than alive if what I predicted will not happen. In following God's instruction, Jonah had egg on his face. 
He did what he was told and said it was going to be destroyed in 40 days if you didn't turn from your ways. And it was the shame of his prediction not coming true that he really struggled with. So often, our pride gets in the way of love. Jonah couldn't recognise the value of loving, of, of a loving, restor, restoring God for 120,000 people in the spotlight of his own ego. He couldn't see what God was doing to that group of people in light of the fact that his ego was, was wounded. Matthew 25:40 says, "The king will reply, "Truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me." Now when he says this, he makes it clear that it's the least of these, not just my mates, not just the ones that love me back when I show them love, not just the ones that don't embarrass me not just the ones that don't cost me too much time, effort or resources. Loving the least of these costs, love costs. And, and Jonah's wrestle was that he couldn't, he couldn't see what God was doing in light of his circumstances. Matthew seven twenty one to 23 says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many would say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? Then I'll tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. <laughs> the, the two things I want to point out in terms of our perspective is that those who do the will of the Father know Jesus. Showing love and showing compassion to people and having the perspective that Jonah really struggled with is about knowing what's on God's heart and knowing his purpose. I love the question that God asked Jonah. Is it right for you to be angry about this? First, Jonah got angry that God was having mercy on Nineveh. But then he gets angry about the plant. Now, he chose a spot to sit down and watch Nineveh, watch the show that was going to happen about it getting destroyed. And then the plant grows up around him. So he chose his spot first. He didn't choose a leafy spot. The, the, the plant grew second. And then when it dies, he's upset. Now, anger isn't always wrong, but I looked up the phrase slow to anger in the Bible and I was fascinated that in almost every time, and it's actually in this passage too, when God is described as slow to anger, on one side of it is grace and compassion God is gracious and compassionate. And the other side of it is he's abounding in love. So we can easily get caught up in anger and be angry 
but I'm not sure there's many times I can be slow to anger or fast to anger and say on one side, I've got grace and compassion and abounding love. My anger is, is not always surrounded by those things. Is it right for you to be angry about these things? Now, anger is also closely linked to judgment. And, uh, and Matthew, 7, 21, uh, Matthew 7, 1 to 2 um, says, Do not judge, for you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Again, Jonah was happy to judge the worm, the Ninevites. He wasn't a happy man. Everything around him looked bad and he wanted to condemn it and wanted to say it was, uh, it was worth dying. It was, it was so hard. Now, one of the things I've wrestled with in the past with churches is a really judgmental perspective. I've watched church leaders get destroyed under the burden of judgment of Christians around them. And I've chatted with a, a bunch of people who either have Christian friends or have grown up in the church and no longer go to the church. And a number of them said, why are Christians so judgmental? Why are they so quick to point the finger and say, you've stuffed up your life? And usually, they don't have everything together themselves. The first time I heard it was a real slap in the face. I didn't know how to respond because there was some truth in it. In our hearts, we desire to grow, to be transformed, to be holy like he is holy. The process of sanctification. But in some ways, we've turned our attention to others and judged them for their shortcomings or not being on that path to holiness that we're on. In Jesus' time, the Pharisees were experts at this. And we can see with Jesus' interaction with the, the woman caught in adultery in uh, John 8. Um, if you know it, they, the Pharisees and the, the, the um, Jewish leaders came to Jesus with a woman caught in adultery and said, by Moses' law, we should be stoning her. What do you say? And if you know the story, he says a person who, who uh, um, has not sinned casts the first stone. And then he asks her, where have your accusers gone, those that condemned you? And what's important, I think, is in verse 11. He says, then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go now and leave your life of sin. Now the Pharisee in me, says, aha, go now and leave your life of sin. See? It's there. It's in Scripture. Jesus said it. But the thing is, before that, he said, then neither do I condemn you. And we can get caught up in our perspective of others or ourselves. Sometimes we condemn ourselves and judge ourselves. And we can get caught up in this, in this perspective of ourselves and of others where we feel like we need to judge them. And Jesus says, judgment is his. 
there's an analogy that you might know. Um, it's a very common analogy. Is a cup half full or half empty? It's, uh, it's a pretty common picture. Um, and the idea is that um, an optimistic person looks at this cup and says it's half full. If they have a positive outlook on things. And a pessimistic person looks at the cup and says it's half empty. They're looking at the fact that there's empty. Now, a pessimist, which I have to admit sometimes I am, um, doesn't usually describe themselves as a pessimist. They, uh, they, they would say that they're a realist. I'm a realist. I'm not a pessimist. I'm just a realist. Yeah? But I'm sorry to say God is not a realist. If he was, he would have looked at the Israelite people and never even bothered to part the Red Sea because they failed time and time again. And if he looked at me and the number of times I've had to say sorry to him for the way I've lived, for the way I've acted, he would have given up on me a long time ago. The words faith, hope and love are not the words of a realist. They're the words of someone who has a perspective greater than our present and past circumstances. Faith is trust and confidence in God and his spirit without knowing the outcome. Hope is believing what God has in store for us. And love is unconditional giving without knowing the fruit it will generate. But I also reckon that the analogy's got the question wrong. I don't think the question is, is it half full or half empty? If we're looking at our lives and our perspective of our lives, I want to know where the water's coming from. Where is that half a cup that's missing gone? Is it, is it fulfilled someone's nourishment? The empty half's exciting. That water's got, was it wasted? Was it, was it filled? Where's that other half going? What's it being used for? And what's holding the water? It looks like a nice bit of glass, but is it really fragile? Does it need some care? Is it leaking? I think sometimes when we, when we look at ourselves, have a perspective of ourselves, we can get down. We can feel bad about our failures. We can feel bad about what we haven't done. We can feel demoralised by the fact that we do have to go back and apologise again. I don't think that's what it's about. I think, I think that there's more to the picture than what you're missing, than what you lack. Because the water keeps flowing. The, water, the water's coming. If you're, feeling, if you're feeling empty, if you're feeling like you're running low, I think sometimes we need a fresh perspective. We need to accept that water, that feeling. When you look at other people's lives and you look at what's missing, what they're, what they're missing, what they've, the damage they might have created to you, when you look at broken people, are they fragile glass that really just need some care? 
does some of my water need to flow out into someone else's life? I think Jonah's a great picture of how I feel sometimes. But it's not a good picture, not a good perspective of ourselves. Um, and he didn't look at himself particularly well. And it's not a good picture of how we look at others. Um, because he didn't look at the Ninevites and have any compassion at all. This is the hard part because I can share what God's laid on my heart but at the end of the day it's useless if it doesn't do anything in our lives. And I was sharing with Mark after last time I spoke and said, wow, what you said after I spoke was really good. And he said, I've had a bit of practice. So let me fumble through this bit. What does, what does it mean to you, your life? What's your perspective of your own life, of who you are? What's your perspective of others? Do you sometimes feel defeated, feel like there's no point going on? You look at the bad stuff and get demoralised. How about other people? Other people get you down. That's that same person that irritates you week in and week out. Because I think when we look at faith, hope and love, they're things that are optimistic. They're things that God says are eternal. These three things remain. Faith, hope and love. So, so your failings, your shortcomings, they'll, they'll pass. That person that irritates you time and time again, that doesn't seem to learn, that'll pass. Let's pray. Lord God, sometimes we look around us and we see stuff that's broken. And we see stuff that's, even though we've tried to mend it and we've tried to do things, that is still broken. And it gets us down sometimes, God. Sometimes we look at ourselves and we feel broken. We feel empty. Lord, we just ask your spirit to come now. Lord, renew us with your life. With a perspective of ourselves like you see us. Lord, we know in our minds that you are a God of compassion and love and you pour out your spirit to us to lift us up, to encourage us. But Lord, we don't want to just know that in our minds. Lord, we want to live lives out of that. 
Lord, we want our lives to reflect a victory. That we're moving, as Trent says, Lord, from wounded to warrior. Lord, we thank you that you are the life-giving source of, of all good things. Lord, if there's things in our lives where we've been angry or negative, Lord, we just ask that you reveal that to us and we work on that, Lord, together. Lord, if there's times that we've been angry at ourselves, Lord, we lay that down to you. Thank you, Lord, that you are slow to anger, that you are abounding in love, that you are full of grace and compassion. Fill us up with that, Lord. We want more of that. Jesus' name. Amen. Majesty, is that right? Yeah. Just um, as we sing a song, just um, you know, even just don't necessarily.